Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work, and you can find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show lined up for you today, including guests Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events, and things are really happening rapidly right now around the globe. We'll visit with Mark. Also, Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. And we'll visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries, Father the Leader, and its uh, sequel, Shake the Money Tree. It is March the 7th, and on this day in 1965, a sad day in Selma, Alabama, a 600-person civil rights demonstration ended in violence when marchers were attacked and beaten by white state troopers and sheriff's deputies. The day's events became known as Bloody Sunday. The demonstrators, led by civil rights activist John Lewis of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee and Hosea Williams of the Southern Christians, were commemorating the recent fatal shooting of Jimmy Lee Jackson, a 26-year-old church deacon by state trooper James Bonnard Fowler. The group planned to march the 54 miles from Selma to Montgomery, the state capital. Just as they crossed the Edmund Pettus Bridge outside Selma, they were ordered to disperse. Moments later, police assaulted them with tear gas, bull whips, and billy clubs. Lewis, then 25, was one of 17 marchers hospitalized. Dozens more were treated for injuries. The violence was broadcast on TV and recounted in newspapers, spurring demonstrations in 80 cities across the nation within days. On March the 9th, Martin Luther King, Jr., led more than 2,000 marchers to the Edmund Pettus Bridge. On March the 15th, President Lyndon Baines Johnson spoke out for the need for voting reform, something activists in Selma had long been fighting for. There's no issue of states' rights or national rights. There's only the struggle for human rights. We've already waited 100 years and more, and the time for waiting is gone. King completed the uh, march to Montgomery along with 2,500 demonstrators. Uh, 25,000, I should say, on March the 25th under the protection of the U.S. military and the FBI. The route was now a U- U.S. National Historic Trail, prodded by what Johnson called the Outrage of Selma. The Voting Rights Act of 1965 was assigned into law five months later with a purpose uh, to right the wrong. Lewis became a U.S. congressman from Georgia in 1986, and he died in 2020. So interesting. These uh, demonstrators on Bloody Sunday were just a reminder. It led to good outcomes. So uh, these peaceful protests can have good results, although uh, no pain, no gain, I guess. It's just unfortunate that uh, uh, the military, or they should say the uh, law enforcement, responded as they did. You may have heard that uh, Florida is now looking to pass the Don't Say Gay Bill where it literally prevents teachers from saying gay literally. Well, that's what activists want you to believe, but that's what you might think if you get your news from Twitter trends or on content creators at CNN. That's what many Collier County public school students believe when they staged a school walkout last week in protest. The bill is actually called the Parental Rights in Education Bill. Reporters asked Ron DeSantis about it, but didn't call it the proper name, uh, America's Governor. Wondered out loud what it was. I'm just curious. You call it that. I've not seen that in any of these bills. Where is that coming from? He asked in East Course, calling it the gay, don't say gay bill. You're in the news business. Does the truth matter or not? Is it don't say gay in any of the bills? Yes or no? The governor asked. Well done, Governor DeSantis. As a conservative, you have to destroy the narrative the media is pushing before you answer the question. DeSantis did this by pointing out that it's actually in the bill. What's actually in the bill? What are activists, Hollywood, and Joe Biden's White House calling dangerous and hateful? No sexual instruction in grades PK, uh, pre-K through third grade. That's what they're calling this don't say gay bill. It seems to me the situation provided public schools a wonderful opportunity to teach students to question the mainstream media 
and to teach them to research what is really going on and the truth. Uh, I'm not <laughs> taking. A, I'm not betting that that's going to happen, unfortunately. Well, Governor Ron DeSantis also announced Friday that the, the global shipping company Sea Lead Shipping is moving parts of its operations from California to Jacksonville. Another victory for the governor, whose state ports have increased their capacity to help alleviate the nationwide supply chain crisis, while he emphasized that Florida can, cannot control federal fiscal policy, the state is trying to alleviate the burden and has been for months. Last fall, DeSantis made it clear that Florida ports remain open, with some even offering incentives for businesses to move their cargo through Sunshine State ports. This has proven to be successful as the Port of Miami, for example, saw an increase in cargo in 2021, and much of it was attributed to imports from Asia that would normally go to California. However, they redirected to Florida because they know they can operate efficiently, DeSantis said. He also noted the port of Tampa saw an increase in container tonnage with uh, huge jumps in material, building materials, and Port Everglades has seen growth up to 25% year-to-date. As a result, Ship Lead Company, headquartered in Singapore, is moving parts of its operations from California to wonderfully efficient and less congested Jacksport here in Jacksonville, Florida, he announced, and looking for a way to avoid congestion on the West Coast and, avo- and choose Jacksport after problems with backups and congestion at the port of Long Beach. It's now positioned to reach more than 98 million U.S. consumers within one day without the hassle of unnecessary delays that we've seen in other seaports throughout the country, DeSantis said. Good move, uh, uh, Governor. You've probably seen Alfie Oaks is in the news. He was arrested. (laughs) I shouldn't laugh. Arrested in South Florida casino, saying the casino is a sore loser. He won $8,700 and had to post a $25 uh, bail for tensing up, quote-unquote, tensing up with casino security. They claimed that he uh, acted aggressive. <clears throat> well, Alfie's no stranger to controversy. He runs a great business here on the Paradise Coast and can be outspoken. I've often said that uh, Seed to Tables, the happiest place all in all of Collier County. Alfie Oaks is a Naples grocer who owns Oaks Farms, Seed to Table, Oaks Farm Market, and Food for Thought. Food and Thought, I should say. Oaks Five filed several pieces of litigation over the course of the COVID-19 pandemic. In 2020, he filed a federal lawsuit challenging Collier County's mask order. Uh, It was dismissed, the uh, suit was. However, he also filed a federal lawsuit against the school district of Lee County in 2020 after the district ended its multi-million dollar contract with a CEO called George Floyd a a disgraceful criminal uh, career criminal. So uh, when he said that, uh, the uh, Lee County School District ended its multi-million dollar contract. Twenty million dollars, I think it was. I, I don't think that's been resolved. That's still in court. I think Lee County is going to pay dearly for that. He also co- called COVID-19 a hoax and refused to enforce any mask mandate in his store, seed to table, or uh, any of his other places. Oaks' opinion seemed to have done little to cause business to dwindle instead of driving up customers drumming up customers go out of their way to support the vocal businessman. He posted a sign at the entrance of seat to table markets that dubbed the three commissioners who voted in favor of the mask mandate as socialists. I really appreciate Alfie Oaks. He's outspoken. He tells the truth as he sees it. Says he's never worn a mask. He doesn't uh, and, and wouldn't wear a mask. He says just eat healthy foods and you'll be fine. He's never taken a vaccine in his life. Really interesting guy. I've had him on the show and uh, Seed to Table, say, is a great business. Well, this is a head-scratcher. The military has discharged nearly 1,500 service members over the Biden administration's military vaccine mandate. Those figures are likely to swell as tens of thousands of more service members have refused to take the vaccine. 1,480 number doesn't even include figures from the Army, which will now has released <clears throat> has not released any, uh, discharged any uh, since... It announced in early February it would begin discharging unvaccinated soldiers. The discharges are happening as the number of national deaths and hospitalizations from COVID have dropped dramatically from January. More cities and states are stepping away from COVID restrictions and mask mandates, but not the military. They're releasing these soldiers. They're hard to train, hard to find good ones. And uh, for whatever reason, 
This is so nuts. And in fact, in addition to that, the U.S. Defense and Justice Departments are no longer requiring masks be worn indoors at Washington area facilities. They said Wednesday, following the latest COVID-19 guidance from the Centers for Disease Control, other agencies are expected to follow suit. This change affects about 20,000 military and civilian employees at the Pentagon. Amazing. Yeah. And, well, of course, the truckers are in town. They've, this uh, truck car, trucker convoy has made a couple of laps around the Washington Beltway. Yesterday, it's apparently about uh, 30 miles uh, long. It's, and the, the truck, there's a lot of truckers. They made two laps around the Beltway. They're planning a couple of, of uh, laps today. So interesting, really reaching out and, and making the statement about freedom. Going back to what we heard about the Bloody Sunday at the bridge, these truckers are basically trying to say, hey, we want our freedoms back. Government, no more mask mandates, no more vaccine mandates. Uh, stay in your lane, do your work, and uh, let us live our lives. Appreciate the truckers. Hope that no violence develops. They've called out hundreds of uh, National Guard uh, to prevent uh, or to, I hope they don't provoke the violence. Well, the national average for price of gasoline of, uh, has uh, skyrocketed to $4, the national highest average in nearly 14 years. The $4 national average is a 40-cent jump from last week and a 57-cent jump from just a month ago. That according to AAA. On March the 6th of last year, prices averaged $2.76 a gallon nationally. The national average is the highest it's been since July of 2008. Uh, that in that uh, month, the uh, they maxed out at four dollars and eleven cents, uh, which was an all-time record. I think we'll probably exceed that uh, probably in the next month. Conservatives are calling on Biden to open up domestic oil production. The Biden administration has not been keen on the solution. And what appears uh, the eleventh hour Wednesday, Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg said opening the pipeline, that would be the XL pipeline, would be galloping after permanent solutions to immediate short-term problems. So what's the short-term solution, Pete? I don't know that he has one in mind, but uh, uh, it's all very unfortunate. Okay, we haven't talked about Russia and Ukraine, but I'm sure we will in the next segment. We're going to be visiting with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, about current global events. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. 
everyone. Every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CallYourSeniorCenter.org. That's CallYourSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Call Your Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more and download the app at the website, choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. Tell our listeners about HistoryCentral.com. It's really a multimedia website. It's really terrific. Absolutely, Bob. We have a complete history of the United States. We start from uh, before the Europeans arrived, Native Americans, all the way through, I guess, COVID. And um, I guess the last entries is the um, Russian invasion of Ukraine. So we go all the way up to date. Special sections on all of the wars. Um, things like the Civil War, the Revolutionary War, with multimedia presentations on the major battles. Uh, We have a world history timeline, um, and we have special sections on aviation. We have the history of every U.S. naval fighting ship, um, a section on railroads, and a big section on elections where we have the history of every American election, um, and uh, presidential election, excuse me, as well as bios of JFK and FDR extorted from my books on the two um, presidents. Yeah, the multimedia website, really fun and interesting, great for kids of all ages. I hope you'll visit HistoryCentral.com. So, Mark, there's so much going on in the world, and most of it's centered right around what's happening in Ukraine and the Russian invasion. Uh, news is breaking quickly. Maybe you can bring us up to date on what's going on. Okay, so, I mean, the military situation has more or less been a stalemate now for a week. Um, the... Um, a couple of the Ukrainian cities have, of course, been surrounded, and the Russians become so frustrated that they're just carpet bombing or using artillery, not so much bombing because their aircraft are being shot down, but they're trying to destroy some of the cities. They're doing to, to Ukraine to some extent what they did in Syria. Um, by and large, at this point, um, it's hard to say this, but it looks like um, all else being equal, the Ukrainians are actually winning this war. Huh. Um, because... Don't forget, the, the, for the for the Russians, the Russians have to win. A stalemate is, is a Ukrainian a Ukrainian win. Um, additionally, um, the Ukrainians are being resupplied much better than the Russians are. Uh, to date, they've received seventeen thousand anti-tank uh, rockets and missiles every day. Seventeen um, jumbo jets land somewhere we don't know where. Somewhere in Poland, the secret airfield. And um, every day they, the materials get get then shipped into 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 Poland. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and additionally, uh, besides the million and a half refugees, which were almost all women, all women and children, there have been two hundred fifty thousand people who've gone into Ukraine, almost all men. How many, so, Did you say two hundred fifty thousand? Yes. Wow, that's amazing. Well, the. So, and, and apparently, just yesterday, uh, Biden approved uh, the notion of sending jets to the Ukraine. So, yeah, uh, right. So the issue with the jets is is not so much the issue of sending the jets to the Ukraine. It's backfilling the jets to Poland and the other two states that have have jets that uh, are are equivalent. In other words, the problem is giving them our jets would do no good because they don't know how to fly them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Poland has. Uh, uh, Soviet jets left over from the Soviet period, as does um, I think Latvia and one other one other country, but they're requesting uh, delivery of F-16s, which which they also already have. The Poles already know how to fly the F-16s to replace um, the ones they're giving to the Ukrainians because they don't want to be left without defense. And so that's what's been approved. It's a question of where they're going to come from. There are all sorts of issues. So 
some of them were aimed to go to Taiwan. So it's you know it gets all everything is complicated, and mm. we don't. It's not like World War II where we make planes like we used to. Let's put it that way in terms of numbers. What's um, interesting to me is is the uh, that's interesting of number one what's happening on the ground, but also the negotiations for peace are going on. Apparently. Uh, the Prime Minister of Israel is getting involved right now. Apparently, had a three-hour conversation with uh, with uh, Putin yesterday. Putin, he, flew, he flew there on Saturday, which is the uh, Jewish <clears throat> Sabbath, and he's an observant person. So he can he would only do that if he believed that it was for the sake, for the sake of saving lives, which theoretically this obviously is. He went to um, he went to Moscow, met with Putin for three hours, then he flew to Berlin. Met with a German chancellor, who we had met with the week before, who had been on a visit to Israel. So it seems to have been coordinated. Uh, he said afterwards, and he's been in touch with Zelensky also. He spoke to Zelensky by phone three times in the last uh, 48 hours. Hmm. He said, and this is probably correct, he said, listen, the chance of me succeeding is small, but uh, morally, if there's any chance of bringing this to an end, I have to try. Good for and, him. I think that's that's uh, accurate. The problem is, you know, Putin's minimal demands are way beyond anything that the Ukrainians are willing to agree to. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we'll have to see. I mean, the question is, Putin's plans have gone completely awry. He expected to have a two or three day war and not to be in a morass where his army is, is pretty much being held at bay by the Ukrainians. Um, so, um, you know, he's losing aircraft on a regular basis, thanks to all the anti aircraft missiles the United States and others have supplied. Uh, the sanctions regime that has been put in place is more extensive and quicker than anything that's ever happened before. Uh, you have to give the United States a lot of credit for putting this together and getting everybody, almost everybody on board, everyone in the world on board, which is very impressive. Um, I mean, even MasterCard, even Visa, and, and American Express. Have... Visa, MasterCard, American Express, yeah. uh, Adobe, Microsoft, Apple, you can go through the list of names of companies, everybody basically is, is pulling out of Russia, um, is not providing services, uh, not allowing the export of high-tech goods. Remember, um, Russia does not make any of its own ships. It doesn't manufacture ships or anything else. And if they want to keep on making weapons, they won't be able to because they won't have the technology in order to make them. I heard that... Uh, uh, we're also seeing, of course, that the Russian military is not what people made it out to be. You know, the last 10 years, the Russians have theoretically spent a fortune of money to upgrade their, their systems and everything else. And probably a lot of that money was taken on, the, you know, taken by the oligarchs and stolen, basically. Um, so the Russian army doesn't have uh, what it needs. And they've always had a problem with logistics. That was always one of the um, problems that Russia always had in terms of providing enough logistics. And if here he was seeing it... Um, very clearly that they just don't have the logistics and doing crazy things like, you know, global warming also may have had a positive impact, which no one's even talked about, because they was talking about going into Ukraine when they expected the ground to be frozen. Yeah. The ground is not frozen. It's one big mud hole. So they're forced to stay on them big highways. And think about it a second. You know, this 40-kilometer line of uh, Russian tanks. Well, guess what a 40-kilometer line of tanks on one road is? Yeah. So uh, I've also heard that uh, the uh, Russians have taken out three uh, facilities that manufactured uh, airborne or um, what's the word I'm thinking about? Uh, chemical weapons. No. Uh, no, fake. Fake news. Fake news. I don't know wherever you heard it. Stop reading whatever it is. Stop. That's the Russian propaganda. QAnon has been spreading this nonsense. There is no truth to it. Period. All right. Total false. Okay. Total false flag coming from the Russians. So please, whatever source you just read that in, delete it from your. So, your so, but uh, uh, what makes you so sure? I'm positive. I mean, I'm based on every report from coming from Ukraine, from some people I know on the ground, from the fact that the Ukrainians were never involved in in in, ma- in making uh, 
uh, biological weapons. Whoever thought the bi- they, they were involved in biological weapons? It's only a Russian. It's the newest Russian reason to to attack. They claim the newest thing is they were planning a nuclear attack against Russia. Yeah. Well, they see, they, 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 they the interesting thing. Weapons that, in 1994. This is a part of a bigger uh, issue, Mark, because there is a, there's a lot of conflicting information out there. No, there's false information that the Russians are planting. That some stupid media people are either repeating or they actually are agents of the Russians, one or the other. It, it, it's, I'm sorry, things like that are just are false. If, if, if the story plays the Russian narrative, you should know 95% chance it is false. Now, there's conflicting reports on how many troops have been lost and those sort of things, but those are a, the normal fog of battle, plus, of course, each side is trying to, to gain some advantage psychological, and that's psych ops, psychological warfare. But stories like that, that they took out um, chemical or biological warfare, that is exactly the story that Moscow is trying to plant, as planted. You know, it's kind of interesting, though. Usually you would expect in in a situation like that, the first thing that would go down is the infrastructure within Ukraine. You'd expect them to cut off electricity and just uh, water supply and so forth in order to uh, force a surrender. Uh, Right, but they have one little... The Russians have a problem. They have two problems. Number one, they do not have too many smart bombs, period. Supposedly they've actually run out of smart bombs completely. So the fact of the matter is they don't have that ability. Uh-huh. So the only thing they can really do is dumb bombs. Dumb bombs require you to come in low, and when you come in low, guess what happens? You get shot down in, very, in many cases. Mm-hmm. So what they're doing is they're using artillery. Um, but the artillery is very inaccurate. You know, I was once involved in artillery somewhere, and they said a direct hit was if we were in 500 meters of the target, hmm. which is about, you know, close to a mile. You know, that, that's a direct hit. So artillery is a very inaccurate and very poor thing to, to, to be using, especially dumb artillery. Today, a lot of countries have what's called smart artillery. You put smart shells inside. So uh, but, let's let's go back to then the negotiations that are going on because right now uh, not only is do we have the uh, what's going on in Ukraine but of course the discussion around the Iran nuclear deal where I, I believe Naftali Bennett the uh, Prime Minister of Israel has some skin in the game and yet he's involved in these negotiations with uh, Russia and uh, so maybe you could clarify this whole relationship here and, and, and address not only the war in Ukraine, but also the, the Iran nuclear deal discussions. Okay, so it's complicated, and it's, sometimes it's hard to, to, to strip away one from the other. So yeah. there's a nuclear deal with Iran that uh, the United States and the Europeans are trying to put back together again. The agreement was in place until the previous administration walked away from it, um, and once the administration uh, single-handedly walked away from the agreement, the Iranians began to enrich uranium up to 60 up to 60%, which is very close to weapons grade. So the question is, what happens now? And the question is, can you bring back the agreement, the, the, the Iranians give up their nuclear fuel, but if you do that, you, you know, what do the Iranians want in return? They want the sanctions lifted, so they get a lot of money. And that's a very terrible trade-off one way or the other. Either, either solution is not a good solution. Mm-hmm. Um, it's unfortunate that the, last, that the agreement was walked away from three years ago because the result has been the Iranians have moved forward. They were not violating the agreement. Previously, the, prob- the major problem with the agreement all along was that it sunsetted. So what we did was we unilaterally sunsetted it even earlier. Yeah. Um, so no one really knows what the, what's exactly in this agreement right now, and we, we don't know. And, of course, the devil is always in the details. Um, but the options are either come to some sort of an agreement or take military you know, military action against Iran one way or the other, whether it's the Israelis. Or, or, or just let them uh, become a nuclear power. Right, which Israel has vowed not to allow happen. Yeah. So, so how do we uh, how do we involve how do we involve Putin in the discussions and helping in the negotiations in this uh, in this agreement? Well, because they were one of the signatures of the original agreement. Don't forget, and that's where it gets complicated. And part of the arrangement was that the Iranians were going to move the um, uranium they have to Russia. In other words, part of the, the key of this agreement is they have whatever number of kilos of enriched uranium they currently claim to have, or the um, International Atomic Energy Commission says they have, that is enough to make a bomb. How do you stop them from making a bomb right now? Besides, um, is is to take that 
material and remove it from the country. And then you don't and also make them stop using the centrifuges that was cre- were creating it. So Russia was the depository of, this, of the of the nuclear fuel, plus they're one of the signatures of the original agreement. And you know, part of the problem is sanctions against Iran were not working very well this time around because the Russians were not participating. Mm-hmm. They, they were working, you know, to get them to the original agreement because they participated, and so the China did. When the Obama administration tried to get an agreement, everyone participated in the sanctions regime, and that's what forced the Iranians to the negotiating table. The Iranians seem to be better negotiators than everybody else. That's a different story altogether. Well, also, so, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it make sense then, that therefore, if they're depending on Russia, that Russia suffering from its own uh, consequences of the sanctions is uh, not, not going to be a very good partner for Iran at this time? Right, but there's, there's, no, there's no question that they're you know, not a great partner for Iran. But if, if the agreement goes through, they don't need Iran as, you know, they don't need Russia as a partner. Uh, they can trade with everybody. Mm-hmm. If the agreement doesn't go through, there, therein lies the question. You know, it, it's a very difficult call, to be quite honest with you, uh, because giving this regime any money is a terrible thing. We're not giving them money that, you know, we're letting them, we're letting them make their own money. We're not, we're not taking U.S. taxpayer or anyone else's money and giving it to them. It's really a matter of removing sanctions so that they can go about their business producing oil, which is the other side of this whole complicated situation, is with... If we want to take the Russians, Russian oil off the marketplace, we need more oil in the overall, you know, overall oil market in the world. So taking a step back so, from any, on, in a similar vein, I mean, we could be energy independent just simply with a decision from the President of the United States with regard to the XL pipeline and uh, turning, on, turning on the spigot with regard to drilling and so forth. Uh, that hasn't no, happened. So, 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 so hold off there. there. There's a misunderstanding there. The answer, and I'm, I'm not for or against the, the, the pipeline or additional drilling permits, but all those things will take a year or two to have an effect. No, it's not, nothing that the President of the United States could do right now in terms of oil will have an immediate impact. Will have an immediate impact as to the oil companies to decide to you know, increase the, their output from the wells that they currently have, and I assume they're actually doing it because the price of oil is so high that they have an incentive to do it. Any sort of new drilling takes time, and it takes time to bring oil fields online. It takes time to to you know, finish the, key, the the pipeline and then put it into use. All of those things are things that are you know, that a year, two years down the road, you know, you can argue whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, but they will have a positive impact on the supply of oil in a year or two. Nothing will have an impact um, in terms of this moment, other than the Saudis pumping more oil. Well, they're just out of, out of curiosity, then, if in fact that decision were made, wouldn't that have an impact on, I mean, a, lo- a lot of the whole notion of inflation has to do with with the uh, mood and the experience of the American people. If they believed, in fact, that the, the quote-unquote, the Calvary was on the way with regard to energy costs, uh, that may have may have a very positive in effect, uh, effect in and of uh, itself. May, may, maybe, but I think that the, look, the American people are going to have to understand that if we're going to um, fight the Russians economically, it's going to cost us in terms of inflation. You know, that's uh, that's that's the cost. We're going to, the, the cost of gasoline is going to get higher. That that is the reality. Mm-hmm. Now, the government can decide to roll back part of the uh, gas tax. That's a possibility. But that 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 is that is the price to be paid. You know, freedom is not free. And, uh, you know, well, no one's about to draft uh, 10 million Americans to go fight the Russians. But 100 million Americans will have to pay more for their gas. Yeah. So what about, the, 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 let's go to NATO right now. Give us a, Tell us uh, what your thoughts are on NATO. I mean, the, uh, Zelensky's asked for a no-vali zone over uh, Ukraine. Uh, the NATO has uh, refrained, and uh, I think wisely. But what are your thoughts? Well, I also agree. I mean, they they really can't. If it, once you go into a no-fly zone, it means you have to down Russian Russian aircraft. In order to down Russian aircraft, you have to fly your own aircraft into the area. In order to do that, you have to uh, take out the Russian anti-aircraft systems they have. Mm-hmm. Basically, you have to go to war with Russia. Mm-hmm. So no one's about to go to war with Russia um, if they don't have to. So the reality, what the what all of NATO is doing is supplying as much arms as quickly as they can to the uh, to the Ukrainians. 
And of course, there's you know most fundamental change in terms of the importance of NATO, the realization of how important it is. We have both um, yesterday Denmark joined, uh, excuse me, joined Germany in announcing the fact that it's going to increase drastically its defense spending. Um, in addition, you have Finland, who is talking about uh, joining NATO. In the meantime, it's also increasing its defense spending. All the members of NATO are coming, are working together to a help Ukraine and everything short of, you know, getting involved directly. Mm-hmm. And number two. Um, building up their own defense in ways that they haven't done for 40 years. And all that is good. Uh, keep in mind, you know, the no-fly zone, uh, you know, is, is not that big, is not all that important because the realization is the Russians are not successful because they have control of the air. Mm-hmm. The most amazing thing to me is, at least according to the Pentagon, they do not control the sky over Ukraine to this day. The sky over Ukraine is... Um, is controlled even more by the Ukrainians, and the fact of the matter is the Ukrainians are challenging uh, the Russians. So the fact is that it, you know it, it sounds good. What what the uh, Ukrainians need is some way of stopping the Russian missiles, because that's something that they have no method of no means of stopping. Uh, but I think the Russians have a limited number of missiles, and that's going to be something that's going to wear off over a period of time. It's one of the things we forget how. How poor Russia is and how poor its industrial base is, and the fact of the matter is it can't suddenly start producing you know, more weapons to fill its losses because, A, it doesn't have the industrial capacity, and, B, it can't import the parts it needs. And also interesting that, uh, of course, the uh, Ukraine and the Russia is in some ways the breadbasket of the world with regard to grain and uh, wheat. And uh, how about fertilizer, for example, and driving up the cost of goods? It's just going to have a real major impact uh, when you mentioned inflation. Right, absolutely. But I also think, I mean, again, I, I, I'm not all that familiar with the U.S. wheat market these days. But um, I think there's an area where we could be producing more wheat. I mean, the whole farm our whole farm policy is to pay farmers not to produce in many cases. Well, to quote Maybe you, Bart, was, Mark, that could take a year or two to get. <laughs> I understand that. That's a problem. Yes, I grant, I grant you that. But I better quote you. Futures will be better because I'll know there'll be American wheat on the market in six months or nine months. So. Mark, as usual, I had so many other things I wanted to talk to you about, but we're out of time. I genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week, Robert. Please, the issue of... Do not believe whatever sources are saying that the, the, the Soviet, excuse me, Soviet, the Russians have taken out biological weapons. Hey, Mark, I don't believe anything from any mainstream media source. <laughs> no, no worries there. I just question everything. So thank you so much for joining us. Okay. Have uh, a great week. Bob. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Coming up, Larry Reed. Larry is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. 
And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best and building a 44,000-square-foot professional in downtown Naples. It's going to be absolutely beautiful, fantastic. You can find out more by visiting the website gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Right now, we have with us Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure indeed. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. Our focus is on high school and college students. We educate and inspire them in ideas of individual liberty, private property, free enterprise, and personal character. And we do that through our very robust website, which is fee.org, as well as free online courses and videos, daily fresh uh, commentary added to the website, uh, regularly and also in-person events uh, on college and high school campuses all over the country and abroad. Yeah, terrific organization. I've been to national conferences and to see the reaction of young people to the whole notions of freedom, liberty, responsibility is fantastic and it's inspiring. So uh, if you have a young person in your life between high school and college age, uh, introduce them to the Foundation for Economic Education. Check out the website yourself, fee.org. There, you wrote a great column. So interesting. We know that Copernicus was just a great astronomer, but... Uh, your column, Meet the World-Famous Astronomer Who Was Also a Wicked Smart Economist. Tell us about it. Okay. Most people will recognize the name Copernicus. We can think back to our high school science classes and remember that he was the guy who first said, hey, uh, the sun is at the center of the solar system, not the earth. And that was a big change because mm-hmm. for centuries uh, – People thought that the Earth was uh, at the center and everything revolved around it. But he started the so-called Copernican Revolution, uh, which changed that thinking dramatically. It was reaffirmed by Galileo a century after Copernicus. And uh, he really uh, had a revolutionary effect on the way we view the heavens and the uh, natural laws that govern it. Yes, he did. And uh, he suffered some... uh did was he was he Galileo or I can think it was Copernicus that actually spent some time under house arrest? Uh, Galileo did. Yeah. Uh, he ran into trouble with uh, the church and uh, spent time under house arrest. I don't believe Copernicus did. Right. It's so interesting. So uh, let's talk about his contributions to uh, to the uh, world uh, of uh, economics and uh, the political science of or the science of economics. What was his okay. contribution? Yeah, this is one of the reasons I think you can properly regard Copernicus as uh, the Renaissance man of the 16th century because he was interested in so many things, uh, medicine, politics, and he was active in these things too, as well as astronomy and economics. And in the field of economics, he uh, gave us some uh, very original contributions, what we now call the quantity theory of money, Uh, really goes back to Copernicus. That's the idea that prices tend to move in the direction that the money supply moves. In other words, more money entering the economy, all other things being equal, will tend to cause prices to rise, Mm -hmm. or less money in the system will tend to cause uh, prices to fall. And, you know, we take that for granted today, but that that had to be discovered. And it was Copernicus, uh, as far as we know, who wrote about it first. And he also noticed that uh, there were certain coins uh, that were circulating that tended to drive other coins out of circulation. This was his discovery, what later would be called Gresham's Law. Uh, Copernicus noticed that sometimes governments, because they wanted to uh, debase the coins, 
put cheaper junk metals in them so they could manufacture more, he noticed that the if you had two coins with the same face value, but one had, say, 90% silver in it and the other one had 50% silver, he noticed that people would spend the cheaper coins and hoard the other ones or melt them down or send them abroad. And uh, so, in effect, bad money would drive good money out of circulation. And that was a, a Copernican contribution way back in the early 16th century. Well, it still rings true today, doesn't it? Because just in our right here in the United States, we've seen the same, the same uh, uh, phenomenon of uh, taking yeah. uh, valuable metals out of coins and uh, replacing with cheap metals. Yeah, I'm old enough to remember. Maybe you are too, Bob. I don't know, but. <laughs> Uh, through 1964, American quarters and dimes and half dollars were 90% silver. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the Congress and President Lyndon Johnson, beginning in 1965, took the silver content out of newly issued quarters, dimes, and half dollars. So for a time, we had the old silver uh, coins circulating with uh, much less silver coins, and everybody, I think, can recall what the uh, outcome was. We started spending the, the junk coins and uh, hoarding the other ones. And today, just imagine if you found a 1964 dime in your pocket next to a 1994 dime, which one are you going to spend? Yeah. You're going to spend the one that has no silver in it instead of uh, the one that does. It's so true. Also, but I don't want to overlook the uh, concept that you pointed out about the expansion of the money supply. What we've seen here in the last 10 years is just an amazing expansion of our money supply, and it's had a very deleterious effect on our economy, and I think we're seeing the results of it right now with regard to inflation. Oh, we sure are. The money supply, by one important measure in the last two years, has risen by more than 30%. And that's in part because uh, we're running these massive deficits in, in Washington where Congress is spending a trillion dollars and more beyond what it raises in tax revenue. Well, the difference has to come from somewhere, mm -hmm. and the Federal Reserve has been monetizing, that is, creating money to accommodate about half of that deficit. So that's led to this massive expansion of the money supply, which now is beginning uh, to show up in rising prices. Does uh, the, our purchase of securities uh, also contribute to that? In other words, the Fed uh, purchasing securities uh, for, for some reason the the uh, Fed can't go out of can't, can't go out of business because it becomes bankrupt. So it just continues <laughs> and has continued to acquire securities. What are your thoughts? Yes, in fact, uh, by buying Treasury securities like bills and notes and, and bonds, by buying those securities issued by the U.S. Treasury. Uh, the Fed is uh, monetizing uh, the debt. And it's pressure to do that when the deficits are so huge and those bonds and notes and bills have to be sopped up somehow uh, because there's, uh, you know, the capital market, uh, if it had to uh, buy those bonds entirely by itself, would it would probably drive interest rates sky high. So the Fed, uh, and on the one hand, you can have a little sympathy for them because uh, – they're facing the problem of overspending and having to accommodate it. On the other hand, of course, they're the engine of inflation. They create the money to pay for the government spending that then ends up in your pocket bidding up prices across the economy. Yeah, I mean, if you, inflation, if we have a 7.5% inflation today, if that continues, just think about that. It's not just uh, another 7.5%. It's 7.5% times uh, 0.075, <laughs> 1.075. Yeah. So uh, it is a compounding effect, and it can really drive prices up. That's right. And at the same time, it drives up those prices. It erodes uh, our savings. It cuts into your uh, the value of your fixed income if you're retired. Uh, it deranges and distorts the economy. Uh, it just causes all kinds of problems, and th this isn't anything new. It goes way back to uh, at least as far back as when the, the prophet Isaiah criticized the Israelites of ancient Israel. He said, thy, thy silver has become dross, thy wine mixed with water. In other words, you're diluting the value of your coins, just like you are your wine, by mixing in cheaper 
uh, junk uh, metals or, or water in, yeah. in the case of wine. Yeah, Larry Reed again, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Please check out fee.org, F-E-E.org. Larry, always appreciate your contribution here to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Offices located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries. Follow the Leader in his sequel, Shake the Money Tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Jim. Hey, uh, I understand that uh, Biden's going to be hitting the campaign trail now, now uh, today or this week for the midterm elections. Yeah, it's an exercise in futility, but he'll be traveling at least four days this week, attending various events, as will uh, Kamala Harris. And the, um, you know, I think the handwriting is on the wall. He is going to be dealing with a Republican uh, House and Senate. And um, I mean, part of it is of his own uh, making, you know, uh, he, he he played a, uh, a yeoman's role in, in triggering inflation. And p- part of it is just a uh, circumstance, you know, the bad, the luck of the draw, and he's getting bad luck because of the um, consequences of Russia's invasion in uh, Ukraine and, and the West's response. Well, I so, mean, uh, Jim, I, I might suggest that perhaps uh, he brought it on himself by uh, what happened in, in Afghanistan. But the other thing, it just kind of amuses me that he's going on the campaign trail because that reminds me of a, like him going in the basement <laughs> during his own campaign for presidency. And when he would go out there, I mean, he couldn't even draw flies, never mind a crowd. Uh, you know, you have 30 or 40 people show up for his events. It was just amazing. Yeah, the, uh, the other thing that amazes me is, um, I, I, I mean, the big one big millstone around his neck uh, regarding the midterms was the uh, government imposed covid restrictions which have evaporated suddenly mm-hmm. you know, and and we have and covid headlines have been pushed off the front page by events in in the ukraine so i mean he has that uh, going for him uh but 
I think uh, we are going to be into a recession prior to the midterms. And, and uh, you know, the, the, the guy who is sitting in the White House always gets blamed for the recession. Oh, absolutely. So it, uh, well, it's kitchen table uh, uh, issues when it comes to the midterms, for sure. And uh, he will certainly have to address all those things that are happening right now. It's just, it, it, to me, it's just amazing, though. That I can't imagine that anybody would want him out on the uh, campaign trail. And I'm talking about Democrats now because, of, you know, he is, he is a kryptonite. He's, <laughs> he's, not, he's not good for the, uh, for the campaign. Yeah, the people who are probably really running <laughs> the White House would love to have him on the campaign trail. He's out of the way. Um, you know, the other <laughs> thought I have is that, you know, with gasoline prices soaring, it's, it's, it seems more in our area that, you know, every uh, six hours you have a hike in, in the price at the pump. Yeah. Uh, I see this as inadvertently being part of what I call the great bamboozle. And the great bamboozle hmm. is the government trying to force the public prematurely into electric vehicles. Hmm. You know, because if, if gasoline prices are hit $7 a gallon, your average person is going to think, well, maybe I should have a plug-in. Uh, the irony here is that uh, the average person won't be able to afford an EV because they're so expensive. Mm -hmm. um, the technology is worse than advertised. So you probably won't want to buy one. You probably want to lease because it'll be like the early ages of uh, computers. You know, remember, I ran out and bought a Commodore 128 thinking, you know, this is spectacular. And within a couple of years, it was uh, like a toy compared to the te technologically advanced computers that were coming down the pike. Right. So we'll see this. So, and uh, the oil companies, I think, are in on the great bamboozle because, you know, this this changeover should take about 30 years and the government is trying to throw push us push just shove it down our throats right now you know ready or not here we come uh the oil companies see that they're facing a losing battle because you really can't fight the federal government so they're not investing in new um, refineries uh, or other infrastructure uh, i mean pipelines who wants to invest in a pipeline you'll mm -hmm. be tied up in court forever so instead their excess profits are going into dividends now and hmm. uh, and you know they're getting they're making money hand over fist because of of the, uh, the uh, shortage of gasoline so you know why would an oil company try to buck the trend and build a new refinery or even repair one that it has it just doesn't make sense so so uh, at the end the big bamboozle the the victims are uh, the average taxpayer yeah so um i if i sound cynical i apologize but that's the way i see it no i think that's right on i mean you see these i don't know, watch a commercial of a, a young i'm gonna say teenager even preteen uh, walking down a, a, a facility, a, a oil facility, suggesting that uh, we, we have the Green New Deal coming and the uh, global warming and so forth. I see that clearly as trying to sell this whole concept to the uh, younger cohort, because I don't think people my age are buying into it at all. But quite frankly, uh, uh, yeah, that they're, they're simply trying to adjust to the market right now and uh, to the demands of the government. I understand that, but I think it's really mis misguided. Frankly, uh, electricity is just for cars is just not going to work. Can you imagine if you were in that snowstorm that kept cars on the uh, I ninety five for twenty two hours? I mean, where were you going to get your power <laughs> after? Well, I know. I mean, the the, the, the recharging infrastructure isn't there. You know, I think long range. I I say thirty years for a transition. I can see the advantages to having an electric car that actually uh, is dependable yeah. uh, because there are, so, there are fewer uh, moving parts. Uh, you don't have to do oil changes, although there still, still is a cooling system. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, did, uh, yeah, those batteries can go out. Apparently it happened to one guy. <laughs> He had to spend twenty two thousand dollars to replace the batteries in his car. And he ended up burning it. 
<laughs> he was so angry about it. So, I mean, there's a there's a lot of technological problems. Most people that own one of these cars they use it as a second car, as a second automobile for local stuff. Yeah, it's it's a virtue signaling at this point. Yeah, I mean, it runs up your home electric bill, and and some of them you can't park in your house because they may catch fire and burn your house down. I mean, who wants a car like that? Exactly. So, you know, my point is that. You know, the technology is not proven. Uh, a lot of it is hype. Yeah. And just like just like the war news, you can't believe a lot of the uh, uh, green news because it's propaganda. Absolutely. So you have to be highly skeptical. No question. Jim McTague, again, uh, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, and uh, do check out these two great murder mysteries. They're fun to read, great reads. Uh, Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree by Jim McTague. Jim, I always appreciate your commentary on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you, Bob. It's fun. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got great guests lined up for tomorrow, uh, including our state senator, Kathleen Pasadomo. I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.